Hi, Bridgeway. It's Pastor Lance, and I'm so glad to be with you again this weekend. We had an incredible time of worship, and now it's time to get into God's Word. This is so exciting. We are in part 15 of our series, Connecting with God. If you haven't got a chance to listen to all of that, you can always go back. All those videos are for free on bridgeway.church, our website. You can go back through and hear the entire series all the way up to where we are right now. So we're in part 15, and I entitled today's message, Overwhelming Love. So it sure sounds like I got a great message for you. You're going to be uplifted and you're going to be encouraged. Overwhelming love. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 7 today. So I have a, a little bit of a note piece to give to you that's going to be a fill in the blank here, so you might want to get that ready. But I want to start with a couple thoughts. What is the first emotion you feel when I talk about God? What is the first emotion you feel when I talk about God? Is it fear? Oh no, I'm now in trouble. He's seen me do something. Is it love? Is it boredom? Is it joy? What is it? I'm going to tell you that by the time we get done with this message, what I want to do is take whatever you have right now and replace it, not just with love, but with overwhelming love, that the minute you hear the name of God, your mind will trigger right over to his extraordinary love that he has for you and for his people. So let's get into this. I refer a lot to uh, a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God because in that book, he highlights out how in the story of the prodigal son, it's really the reckless love of the father in that story, which is the God character that is the highlight. That God's love can almost be seen as extravagantly reckless when you start seeing the amount of grace and mercy that he pours out to us, those that were sinners, saved by grace, right? So here is the fill in the blank if you have that on your app there at home. It is this, connection, and this is the year of connection, connection means lavish love. Connection means lavish love. We've been talking about the importance and power of connecting with God, and indeed, connection with God means lavish love. Where we left off last time as a family in uh, part 14 was that we were reflecting on a very serious message about what it meant to be dead in our sins, and I refer to the idea that we had been unplugged, that humanity was unplugged from their creator, but all human beings were designed with the capacity to plug into the divine. But when we were disconnected, when we were unplugged, there was no life in us. We were spiritually dead, and God wanted to make us alive. So we took some time following the Apostle Paul through this book of Ephesians, and he was explaining what we had been rescued from. And now it's time for the good news. Last week, a little bit rough, kind of hinted at some excitement. Now we get a chance to dive headlong into the incredible good news of Jesus Christ. So prep for today. If you have a Bible, would you please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to be in 4 through 7. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4 through 7. If you're watching on some of our uh, online platforms, we put some of those verses up in the chat there for you if you need to refer to it very quickly. But we got Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. 
All right, you there? Here we go. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, if I could just preach the entire time on the first two words of that passage, think about what we talked about last time. We were dead and disconnected from the Lord, but God saw a different way. But God made it new. But God came to the rescue. But God did what we could not do so that we might be alive. Just those two words. What a beautiful statement. But God, it changed everything. What we could not do for ourselves, he did for us. Man, glory, glory to God. Now, let's go back. We just kind of covered all of it. Let's go back and tear it apart verse by verse and see what we can't find out that might transform us today. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, let's pause right there. That's a lot. God, being rich in mercy. Y'all know what mercy means. Mercy means that we or someone deserves punishment or a penalty, but out of kindness and love, they are released from that debt. They deserve it, but they're not going to get it. Why? Because of kindness. Now remember, grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. Mercy is that you deserve penalty, but you're not going to get it. Grace means that someone is so loving, they want to give you a gift even though you don't deserve it. So grace and mercy are very closely tied. Right here, it focuses on one, and then a little later, it's going to focus on the other. So here's what it says. But God, being rich in mercy, meaning he doesn't just have a little bit of mercy, he has extraordinary mercy. Mercy, but God being rich in mercy. This is incredible to me. God is referred to being merciful all over the Bible, Uh, Him extending mercy to sinners. Think about how real this is. God is perfect, everything He does is right. He doesn't have to apologize, He doesn't have regret, He never makes bad decisions, but He only works with creation, who does? That means that that his creation, who is consistently erring or consistently rebellious, is always that way, but he's always perfect. And yet, this same creation, us, he is co- we are constantly sinning against him. He is constantly being disrespected. He is constantly being challenged. He's always classified as the bad guy when things don't go people's way. But even despite all that, he is so consistently loving. 
That is that mercy. When all you do is work with brokenness and meanness lashing out at you, but you are so good that you love consistently despite the reaction. That's extraordinary. You see, mercy and grace, that flows from a healthy place. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. God is consistently extending grace and mercy wherever possible. Why? Because he is full of joy and full of everything he needs. He's not lacking. He doesn't need anything from us. There is no competition. There is no tension there. He is already full, so he can then extend kindness, and it doesn't come at a cost to him. Think about why we are so critical and judgmental and stingy and unforgiving with other people. Usually, that is because what? We are agitated on the inside because of our dysfunction. We feel like we don't have enough, so we're stingy with other people. We don't feel like we've been appreciated, so we withhold from others. We don't feel like we are soothed, so we don't soothe others. But what if we allowed God to heal us deep down? Do you understand that what God wants us to do is pour down so much love and mercy and grace into his believers that we are so filled up and so healed from our hurts and our disillusionments that we are so overwhelmed by his kindness that we are no longer driven by our dysfunction and we can actually love in an agape God manner, meaning in an others-focused way. If we would allow God to minister to us and not just do life as normal, if we would allow the truth of Scripture to be true for us, if we would truly grasp how kind he's been, if we truly understood how much we've been forgiven, how much more would we as Christians be loving and kind and forgiving and graceful and peaceful and joyful to our neighbors. You see, we still have an awful lot of dysfunction hanging into us. I'm not so sure it's all necessary. I've got it, you've got it. My question is, should we have it? After all that God has done, what more could he possibly do to fill you up with his love? The Bible says that he demonstrated the greatest act of love, that he sent his one and only son so that we might live. Now that's extraordinary. Over and over, the Bible says that we need to reflect on how intense God's love really is, that it would change us in the process. Ephesians 3, later on in our series, we're gonna study this in depth, but just listen to this. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, Paul prays this. He says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He said, just trying to grasp it from a human standpoint doesn't even make any sense. You need the Holy Spirit to increase your capacity of understanding just to begin to grasp how deep God's love is for us. That love should purify us 
It should motivate us. All right, let's move on in the passage. We're still in verse 5. Excuse me, we're starting in verse 5 here, just at the beginning. He said that God did all of that loving, all of that mercy, all of that grace, what? Quote, even when we were dead in our trespasses. All the kindness of God happened when we were not lovable. That's incredible. He loved us while we were still the bad guys. Paul uses the word trespasses, speaking of even while we were doing the very rebellious acts against God, while we were still committing sins and errors, while we were still self-obsessed, selfish, not interested in God at all, we made our universe to circle around us when it was truly supposed to be about God. And in that selfish place, when we were not reaching out to him, we were not loving him, we were dead in our sins, meaning we were not responding to any spiritual stimuli. We weren't looking for God. We had no interest in him. In that rebellious place of darkness, God's love came flooding in. You see, sometimes we think that we need to earn God's love. I need you to know that you will never be loved by God more than you are right now. It is his love that is coming our direction. He's not loving based on our lovability. It's that God loved us when we were at our worst, and some of us are still not yet at our worst, but God's love is so intense, it's so much bigger than our problems and errors and sins and depravity that God overwhelms that with his kindness and his love. Isn't that incredible? All right, let's keep moving forward. I believe that we are still in verse five here. It says that what did he do when he rescued us when we were dead? He made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. It says, we were made alive, and how? By God's grace, and we'll talk about that in a moment, right? So I just want to mention that we are made alive by grace, but we were made alive from our spiritual death together with Christ. What does that mean? You know how we know the story and we tell the story commonly that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was put in the tomb after the third day, rose again. Then we just celebrated that not that long ago on Easter weekend, right? This resurrection, him coming out of the tomb and being alive. But you can't come back alive and resurrect until you die first. So here's what it says. We were made alive together with Christ. Here's what it means biblically. When we fuse together with Jesus Christ by asking him to come into our life as our Savior and Lord, it means that his death is counted to our account. As he died for sin, we die to sin, and his resurrection is also put on our account as he becomes spiritually alive, we become spiritually alive. So we get what he gets. He got new life, we get new life. Let me give you an example. We actually do something in church very commonly that is a big word picture of this, and that is baptism by immersion. 
You've maybe seen this, right? Where uh, sometimes in our services, as a matter of fact, during our worship times, we will have people go down in the water and they're lowered down by one of the pastors and they're brought back up and they're celebrating. Everyone's cheering for them. What is that all about? What's the deal with going under the water and coming back? Is there something magic in the water? Is there some type of faith they get there? Are they saved right there? No, no, no. It's a word picture of what happened inside someone's heart when they gave their lives to Jesus. See, God knows how we learn. We learn by multiple learning styles. Sometimes they're tactile, sometimes they're audio, sometimes they're visual. So he gives us a word picture so that we can understand what is happening in the lives of the people around us. We can't see whose hearts have been made alive or not. We only see the evidence in their actions. So baptism, in order to let everyone know in the church community that they're one of us, we do this lowering down into the water. What does it mean? It means that as Jesus was lowered into the grave together, we symbolically lower down in saying that we're dying to our sins and our old way of living. And we get brought back up by someone else indicating, you know, you don't get out of the water yourself. Someone else lifts you back up. Why? That's an indicator that God is the one that has to lift us out of the grave. But when we come out of that water and the water is pouring off of us, we are refreshed and clean and brand new. That is a visual of everything being rinsed off of us and we walk into our new life. That's awesome. Let's keep going. He said, for by grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. Grace is unearned favor. In other words, it means that God is so loving that out of his goodness, he came up with the idea to bless us with something as a gift. It says, we, by grace, by just the kindness and love of God, we, you, collectively, Christians, have been saved. Saved from what? What is salvation? His, uh, we see his love, but what did he do? He rescued us. Rescued us from what? Well, let's reflect a little bit on what we talked about last time. Last week, I told you that God has to remove sin. That is a justice requirement. Sin is anything that's anti-God. God cannot allow anti-God stuff to remain. That's improper. So what does that mean? It means that either Jesus takes the sin out of us or we get taken out with the sin. Y'all following? Either Jesus takes the sin out of us or we get taken out with a sin, the sin has got to go. So somebody's gonna take care of it. Either we're gonna take care of it or Jesus is gonna take care of it, right? So that whole scary topic that we talked about last time, this concept of being taken out or, or receiving God's wrath or hell, we were rescued from all of that. By grace, you were rescued from it. By grace, you were saved from eternal death. By grace, you were saved from spiritual disconnection. By grace, you were saved from the wrath of God. The sin part of us isn't there anymore. Man, isn't that good news? The other thing I want to highlight about this, it says, by grace, you have been saved. Man, I love that good news right there. In the Greek, that is called a perfect tense. 
Now, we think of past, present, and future tense, right? We talk about something that used to happen, something that's happening right now, or something that's gonna happen in the future. In the Greek, they have a few more of those. The perfect tense means an ongoing result of a perfected action in the past. Let me say that again. You are living in a new present reality because of something that already occurred and got locked down. Many times the Bible talks about salvation as we are being saved because we're still alive, right? We're still on this planet. Jesus still has stuff to clean up. And someday God's wrath is going to come on this planet and we need to be rescued out of that. That's a promise. But because it's Jesus, it's so much a lock that it's as if it is done and complete all over. Man, how cool is that? I love that, I love that. Paul's highlighting Christ's ability can be relied upon as a fact. It's a conclusion that we are fully alive forevermore. As a matter of fact, let me read this to you. You don't have to turn there, but I'm gonna be in Romans 8, 31 through 39. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Listen to this. When talking about how truly saved we are, listen to what he says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, who cares? He, God, who did not spare his own son Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? In other words, who's going to judge us and say we're condemned? It's God who's the judge. And he's the one that set us free. There's no one to condemn. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Meaning nobody. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, meaning he's on our team. He said, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword, meaning none of these things can take you away from the love of God. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, Paul said, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, I hope your spirit is getting refreshed here. We're almost done. Let's go ahead and keep moving forward. Here we go. Verse 6. And he raised us up with him, with Jesus, and seated us with him, Jesus, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were rescued and raised up into the heavenly places. What does that mean? It means that we were resurrected, that we were spiritually ascending to be with Christ. It means that positionally, right here, right now, we have dual citizenship. We are both there in heaven with Jesus in a security place, and we are still actively here working stuff out. But remember, with Jesus, it's lock. We live here and there. Hmm. Let me read one more extended passage to you because I think these are so important. Romans 6, 3 through 11. Romans 6, 3 through 11. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live and walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, meaning we die to ourselves, he died on the cross, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, our old way of life, our old stubborn, selfish way of thinking was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, Christians, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places? We are positionally, internally, in the eyes of God, we are positionally purified. We are positionally glorified. We are secured in heaven. It means we are safe. It means that we are good. But yet we still live here. So what does it mean to be raised up with Christ in the heavenly places, but we still live down here? You see, we've talked a lot at Bridgeway about the idea of the kingdom being now, but not yet. Meaning the kingdom of heaven coming here is a partial reality, but not a fully realized reality. One day it's going to be fully realized, and in that day all things will be right and good. But for right now, there is still a tension. There is still evil in the world. There is still an active devil. There's still a bunch of stuff disrupting. One day that will not be the case. But until that day, we live in a tension. Our citizenship is that our hearts and our heads are up in heaven, but our bodies are still here. Paul says this in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship, where we truly belong, where our family is from, our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, which is still here, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In other words, Jesus isn't done with the great and glorious stuff. There's more for his Christians. We are positionally in heaven, but we are actively here. Dual citizenship. What this means is that we can access resources both from here and from there. Now, when you pray, do you realize when you pray, you are accessing heaven resources? That you are now operating in two realities simultaneously. That God is in the supernatural realm, we are in the natural realm, and yet we are fused and linked together, partakers of the divine nature, the Bible says. Therefore, we are able to operate in both worlds. We are able to pull things from there into here. Man, that's a whole nother message. I don't got time to get into that. All right, let's, let's land this. Verse seven, and God did all these incredible things out of his love, rescuing people, saving people. Why? So that in the coming ages, 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means this. Christ's rescue of his people and all the great things he's done and that he's doing for us stands as a universe-wide demonstration of how loving he is. In other words, it makes him look good. Our salvation brings him glory. It means that all the heavenly beings look and see what he's doing in rescuing us sinners, and they just say, wow, God, you are great. Every single saved life is a testimony to a good, good God. My prayer is that your life is a testimony to a good, good God, that maybe you and all your uh, imperfections like me and all your mistakes like I make and all the sins that are still going on in your life that Jesus is trying to clean up. I hope that you have been rescued by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that everywhere you walk, heavenly beings go, man, he saved that person? No way. God is so good. It says, so everyone would know, everyone would see the immeasurable, immeasurable, immeasurable. You can't even measure the riches the lavishness, lavishness of God's grace and his kindness. God is more loving than we can ever imagine. You see, let me just finish by saying these thoughts. We have a beautiful, secure future in our Savior, Jesus Christ. May our hearts and spirits and souls and those of all of us who call ourselves Christians, for all of us who follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, may we be soothed today to know that he has done it all for us, that he has saved us, that he is in the process of cleansing us, that he will bring us to himself. May the love that I've been talking about so shower down upon you that you get so filled up that you can't help but spill over and cascade to everyone around you. May your heart be so filled up with love you got a ton more to give. May you have so much grace packed into your soul that it's easy to extend grace to other people. May you realize the depth of forgiveness about being cleansed from all of your sins so that we are able to release other people that harm us. You see, I think that this type of message allows us to be set free to really be the Christians that we were meant to be. I think that our health in Jesus allows us to be the salt and light that we need to be. I truly believe that the more and more we understand the identity that Jesus Christ has given us, it transforms us, makes us different people. We walk around with a different attitude. We walk around with a different spirit. We walk around with a different mindset. Can you imagine if every time someone that did not know the Lord came in contact with a Christian, that that Christian's health and spiritual vitality was so strong and so functional that they were astounded and they had to ask you, why are you so healthy? Why can you love me even when I'm being mean to you? Why are you the way that you are? If we would allow God to heal more of our hurts, clean more of our baggage, wipe away more and more of our pain, 
I truly think that our lives would be a brighter testimony. And we're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it because Jesus has already offered it, already done it, and transformed us. Man, it's been so good to be with you here today. I sure hope that you are blessed, and I hope that everything that God has for you is coming to fruition. I love you all, and I'll see you next week.